This is the Final Whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Hello, I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC. I've got a cough street in my mouth that I really ought to swallow before I say anything more. Hmm. Relief. Well, hello, I'm still Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC, but I've not got a cough sweet in my mouth now. And welcome to the Ask Wrexham podcast, a podcast where we answer your questions and to repeat what I always say, this is a podcast born out of a hashtag we used to let listeners get in touch with us while we commentate on the Wrexham games and wow, your support and response has been phenomenal, so it's impossible to mention half of them and so we use this to catch up on the ones we missed and also to give a second airing to some of the brilliant questions that we get. Right, a couple of points of order. If you're watching the video, you can see that today, significantly, I am wearing my Di Davis t-shirt. Di Davis, one of the great goalkeepers in the history of Wrexham Football Club, whose birthday was the 1st of April, which of course is in a couple of days. He was a magnificent goalkeeper for Everton, for Wales, for Wrexham, for Swansea. He came to us at the start of the famous 1977-78 season and was credited as one of the major contributing factors in Wrexham winning the third division title and getting up to the second tier of English football for the very first time. Uh, a great goalkeeper, a great cultural figure as well, a, a passionate advocate of Welsh culture and of the Welsh language and a man who he passed away fairly recently was genuinely missed as an important figure for both for our club and for our country. So, Di, this is for you, mate. Another important thing I want to mention as well as our first point on Ask Wrexham isn't a question, but Jay Bailey has posted up a final point, a blog post about the brilliant Ask Wrexham fundraising efforts. Now, Jay and J Janie Lightning and Beer Bear Beer uh, with a leading light in setting this up. But thank you all who have contributed. I mean, this is just incredible. They set this up as a virtual bucket collection for the women's game because they couldn't get over to see it. And it has raised over £2,000 for Welsh Women's Aid. An astonishing effort. So firstly, well done to the three of them for setting that up absolutely incredible and we have more things in the pipeline to to add to it and um, and also well done to everybody who contributed that really is a wonderful expression of what a football can can achieve what the community can achieve and i've got to say i've, I've always tried to labor the point maybe some might say that Wrexham football club is a community club and when you've got opportunities to do good for your community you should do it is, I think, no coincidence that new fans of the club drawn in by Welcome to Wrexham are motivated, I think, by the human story, at least as much as the sport, and are very eager to keep that tradition going. Absolutely marvellous, and I feel very, very proud. Now, let's move on to footy matters. And firstly... The women's football, of course, the women's team, a brilliant day on Sunday when they beat Connors Key Nomads 2-1. Absolutely fantastic occasion. The crowd was sensational. The whole day was wonderful. Kurt Bennett, 
asks, can you explain how going semi-professional will impact the teams? Let, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. We'll go semi-professional if we win the playoff firstly. So we've got to win beat Britain Ferry in Newtown. That will put us in the top division and then we will go semi-professional. Now, I try to answer this a bit in the commentary and then I sort of felt some of the things I'd said maybe I'd want to step back from a little bit. So, let's look at it this way there's clearly going to be a big step up in lots of ways there'll be more opportunities to train if players are actually getting paid to be footballers um there'll be more demands frankly on the players there'll be a lot more traveling if we go up too because a lot of the teams and most of the teams in the top division are in south wales and that will make demands on players which might mean it's more difficult to have a full-time job at the same time so training implications massive also let, let's be honest here going semi-professional opens up a new field of players we might be interested in and while and, and, and speaking to people who follow the team and follow welsh football uh, women's welsh football more closely than i do um i've been assured they think that this team would be okay in the top league would certainly be competitive wouldn't have too much of a problem being competitive but having said that obviously and especially if you go semi-pro and especially if your aim is to be the top team in wales we may well look to also bring in some more experienced players perhaps there are some players on that team who have played in the top level but you'd probably bring in a bit more because you will be throwing uh, some money at it and having a budget I said as well about um, maybe some pl players not being willing to carry on playing, but I think I'm, I step back slightly from what I said earlier because men's football, that happens at Wrexham's level. But s some players might feel, okay, I can't commit to a greater trading load. But also the, the, the other thing in my mind was the idea of people moving around. Well, most of the players are locally based so I suspect it won't have too much of a detrimental effect on the current squad. I suspect, although obviously it's always a big change when you, you go semi-pro. Uh, so I think those are the main things, really. I, I, I'll ask around a bit more to see if there's any more things that I can, I can find out about. Right, next up on the agenda. Now, also talking about the Welsh team, but Pamela saying outsiders may think the Wrexham mania is all about Hollywood owners, but this is why Wrexham AFC has become a fairy tale. It's a love story of faith, dedication and hard work despite hard knocks. And I wanted to mention this because she's quote tweeting Mia Roberts, um, who has a picture of herself with her Wrexham shirt in the changing room and then a picture of her as a little girl with her dad's dad, of course, being Neil Roberts and uh, his, his shirt in the Wrexham changing room when he was a player. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. And I wanted to sort of mention this as well because that was a lot of what felt fantastic on Sunday. The fact that so many players were local, were Wrexham fans, and were fulfilling a lot of different uh, hopes and dreams, really, by not just by playing there and, and reaching a new level, but playing there and doing something that they, they would never have dreamt of. And again, thanks to the owners for making this sort of thing happen now. Uh, also, I, I wanted to mention about the idea of Hollywood owners. I find this interesting. Certainly in Britain, I would say if you use Hollywood as an adjective, you are sneering. You talk about something being Hollywood, you're implying it's glitzy but has no substance. And I'm getting a bit bored of that now, if I'm totally honest, because goodness me, if, if nothing else, the takeover and the current owners have substance. 
And I think you only have to look at what happened last weekend at the football club to understand that. You need only look at the Ask Wrexham fans community <coughs> raising £2,000 for an excellent cause to understand that. It's getting a bit boring, this uh, Hollywood tag, because like I say, in Britain, it is a sneering adjective, I assure you. Now, I've been itching to get onto this one. I'm going to get political now, so I apologise... I'm going to try and say it dispassionately, but, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm biased, I apologise. But Daniel Dunod's come up with a, the question a lot of people want answers. He was listening to Ben Tozer on TalkSport discuss the awful new twist in the FA's policy on player contracts and injuries. Not really sure the relationship between the FA, the clubs and the players. Can you help explain? I certainly will. Now, I will say Ben Tozer did a superb job not just of explaining the problem, but of managing to sidestep a lot of the nonsense that was getting thrown at him. So the, the part of the reason, Daniel, why there's a lot to pick out of this is that a lot of it was rubbish. Not from Ben. The issue is serious, very serious. But TalkSport's treatment of it, um, well, you, well, let's listen to me pick this apart and I think you'll understand that it's, it's quite startling how amateurish a, a big organisation can be. Um... The thumbnail of the video was, have the FA gone too far? Right, so first things first, and you're quite right to talk about the relation to the FA, the clubs and the players. This has got nothing to do with the FA. They've only put that on because the FA is more sexy than the National League. We like, as probably is true around the world, battering our governing bodies and leaders, and the FA often comes in with stick, often justified and clearly talk sports are going to generate a lot more clicks if it looks like they're going to be crucifying the fa rather than the national league which is important to us but frankly a small beer in the on the national global a national sporting stage so the fa's got nothing to do this is the national league that has done this it's not the fa they keep banging on about it they kept asking ben tozer to comment on the fa and i think he sidestepped things pretty sensibly he handled himself extremely well so that's the first point you're also on, if you watch the video it keeps putting on the bottom um, and in the title of the actual video as well non-league nightmare will non-league players go on strike <sighs> that is not what this video is about Ben Tozer is asked a question and says no <laughs> no no one's talks about this they come back at him yet later to try and give him the same question and again he sidesteps it pretty sensibly there's no talk of strike it's just that the National League has brought something in which is not great and quite rightly people are up in arms about it so let, let's talk through having done that and just said the talk sport thing if you daniel if you found that a bit confusing it's because it was astonishingly badly researched they didn't know anything about the story the only person to listen to was ben Tozer in that interview don't listen to the stuff they're saying to him but now here's let's break down the actual issue and this is where like i said i accept my personal opinions will come into this widely held opinions but i'm you know i don't want to i don't want to be biased and not announce it first um I and a lot of other people don't have a great deal of respect or trust in the National League's system and the board. Um, and a major problem of that is that the board is made up of representatives of some member clubs and clearly seems to get driven by personal interest. I mean, to give you a couple of examples, you've got the case which was a massive scandal which brought about a vote of no confidence in the National League board, which they won. Um 
when COVID monies were redistributed, the government gave money to be used as compensation for loss of attendance. And it was spe specified that that was what that money was for due to games being played behind closed door because of COVID. Um, but the National League board decided to just split it, split it equally and give it to everybody, which was a remarkable decision, of course, because you have clubs like Wrexham, uh, like Grimsby then, who were getting Grand Notts County, getting crowds of around or higher than 5,000. And then you had some clubs like, say, Boreham Wood and Dover, who were getting crowds of lower than a 1,000. So clearly, by splitting us all equally, you were making sure that the clubs with big crowds still lost out. And frankly, some of the clubs with smaller attendances actually made profits out of the fact that games were being played behind closed doors because they were getting more compensation. Um, it was actually said by the board that they have to compensate them for travel, which, like I said, it was specified it's compensation for match day revenues lost by attendance and you know selling programs selling pies whatever it wasn't for travel everyone was going to have their travel bills anyway that wasn't affected by covid but like i said if your board is some is just made up of representatives of some clubs there's a serious danger that it's going to be unrepresentative of the whole division um i hate to say it but uh dover and boring was both had their owners on the board. Now, this issue of that, that Ben Tozer is talking about is that the National League are proposing that if a player is injured for three months, they can be they can have their pay docked, and essentially, as Ben Tozer was saying, essentially going to be paid a hundred pounds a week, which Ben Tozer rightly said in the interview is horrific because how are you going to get a mortgage on that type of contract where you essentially have a three-month contract don't you really it's a three-month rolling contract a club could get rid of you if you get injured in three months time and he's quite right um and then that was it six months was it that oh gosh, i'm sorry my mind's gone blank there's a longer period where no it wasn't as long as that where they were allowed to just cancel your contract now this astonishes me and the assumption on the radio show and also from me, would be that this is illegal, except, now here comes the political bit, for Brexit. Now Brexit is, okay, I, I don't want to talk about the rights and wrongs of it, but I, I will say that an awful lot of the people who pushed hard for Brexit are on the, the right wing, the more extreme edges of the right wing, tend to be people, business people who want to maximize profit without being so concerned maybe about treatment of workers and also you know people who are already rich and you know maybe feel comfortable with the idea of you know to keep a bit more of it now those critics would often complain about europe that it was a bit left-wing that the european union tended as an entity to to veer more towards a more shall we say socialistic approach i think that would be a bit extreme because you know it just reflects how things are in individual countries at the time but an awful lot of shared european legislation was about workers rights and about human rights and certainly the critics of brexit um and, and right-wing media outlets would constantly complain about the human rights act which britain had to sign up to as 
a member of Europe, which basically protected the human rights of people in Britain and also a lot of legislation protecting workers from exploitation. Now, while the, the, the sort of argument was we will be free of all this uh, interference from the Europeans, the, the truth of the matter is that it also gives carte blanche for the governments of the time just to make their own rules, rip up the Human Rights uh, Act and start from scratch. And the current government is, well, has been veering further and further to the right in Britain. And, you know, I can't help seeing this as a continuation of that. You've got workers' leg protection, protection, protective legislation for workers being eroded or removed. And then suddenly, all oh, footballers, by the way, can just get sacked. I mean, <laughs> utterly astonishing. By weird coincidence, um, Dover's owner has always been openly pro-Brexit. And by weird coincidence, Boreham Wood's owner actually used the club and the club's websites and social media platforms to campaign for Brexit. So you know, don't just mention that as a coincidence. But certainly it's a sort of... Um, it feels to me like a return to laissez-faire Victorian values and business of, um, you know, people can make so much money as they want and the work as well, you know, unlucky. Uh, you haven't got the rights to complain. That's how it feels like to me. I would also mention that two years ago, Dover Athletic, during the COVID outbreak, stopped playing. They just stopped playing. They did not complete the season. And the reason the Dover owner uh, was quite clear was that he wanted to save money. So if they stopped playing, they wouldn't have to pay players' wages. So again, we have that conflict, perhaps, between wanting to maximise profits and wanting to maybe treat your employees uh, fairly. And so I'm just saying that's the direction we're coming from here. Um, there are other clubs who've benefited from that sort of thing. Chesterfield were heavily criticised that they use the ability to furlough employees to furlough players, essentially ending their contracts with the club, and then brought new ones in, which didn't seem to be the point of the furlough scheme. It, it was to help businesses to, to cope in difficult times, not help football teams maybe to get rid of players and bring new ones in. There's an awful lot of stuff going around this, which is feels uncomfortable but the bottom line is that yeah with, with the human rights being eroded in britain there's it's easier to try and bring in this sort of idea but it's purely the national league who are bringing it in it's not the fa the problem is and again this was very confusing when you listen to the interview essentially the pfa is the players union if you're in a football league or premier league club you are going to join the pfa but, and if you move down, like Toza has done, you can retain your membership at the PFA. But there's no union for non-league players per se, which is why they were occupied. This is all organised, the resistance to it, by a WhatsApp group of National League teams' captains. Um, because there's, there's a lack of organisation to protect these players in the National League, even though the vast majority of clubs now are fully professional. So maybe that's also something that needs to be addressed. I think there's there's an awful lot in football about the non -league, national league that needs to be looked at because, apart from the poor governance, the fact of the matter is it's now a fifth division. It's now a virtually fully professional division. It's serious. Look at the crowds we get, the Notts County get. <laughs> you know, that there, there needs to be something better than this old-fashioned, rooted-in-the-past notion of, oh, you can have one team go straight up. Oh, we, we'll treat you like you're an amateur league because it just isn't anymore. So yeah, it is hugely alarming and I'd like to think that, that maybe players at a higher level might step in in solidarity here because 
you know how it works it'll be them next so yeah I mean if you think about this as well the, the whole the European thing the idea of the Bosman transfer of a player being out of contract and having the freedom to go wherever they want was brought in by European legislation so this is a sort of fight against it isn't it this is uh, now we can just get rid of you whenever we want to it's uh, it's not good it's not good and as Toza kept using the frame phrase you put your body on the line for a club and then that's the gratitude they show you I must emphasize that re that it's not obligatory so this is a national league saying you can do this to the clubs now we know that Notts County have gone on the record saying they will not do it and we have said well informally at least to Toza that we would not do it there's no reason why we would is that let's be honest um so there'll be some clubs that will just take a moral stand and say no this is just wrong we are not doing that good good for them the problem is the clubs who will not take a moral stand so let's hope there's enough of a storm around this to stop it and kill it dead i have got to show you spitball ideas wonderful spreadsheet i'm sorry if you're watching you're listening to this but basically what spitball idea has done is share calculations for every club in the division and how many points they need to reach the highest possible position and what positions they can no longer fulfill and the reason i want to mention it apart from the fact that it's just a magnificent fascinating spreadsheet that you can pour over for ages is that and for a few weeks to be fair Wrexham have been guaranteed at least second place we don't want second place but we are guaranteed it <laughs> isn't that remarkable it makes you realize that we're not for Notts County who, who can say the same about us this league would have been won a few weeks ago which is astounding even when teams run away with it they still don't tend to win it until around now but we'd have won it back in early March astonishing isn't it it does lay things out quite nicely um I mean, the bottom line is the Notts County game is massive, of course it is. But if we can win our next two games, which are both against teams in the bottom half of the table, Oldham and Halifax, not a given. But if we can do that, it really does put pressure on Notts County to win at the racecourse. Uh, with, uh, otherwise, they really will be starting to run out of games to, to make the gap up. Now then, Pamela. I love this now. Ben Foster. You notice you signed him. Pamela says, oh yeah, yeah, me last week, I said we were never going to sign him. And I was right. Up until the point where we did. Man, how embarrassing. It's a sign of what's going on at Wrexham. It's a fairy tale story. All my life I've had daft rumours being said about Wrexham. And I just dismissed them because they're stupid and fanciful and very naive. And I really thought the Ben Foster one was the same, the same kettle of fish. It wasn't. Wow. Anyway, Pamela has never seen a Ben Foster uh, CG cycling goalkeeper report before, and I really enjoyed it. Great eye view. Does one need proper dispensation to put a GoPro inside the goal? I'm actually surprised it's allowed, but glad it is. Right, now then. Ben Foster was doing this, and you may have noticed on his video, he's talking about the return of the GoPro. And that's because last season... Was, or was it the season before he was stopped from doing it because he was in the Premier League now this actually wasn't so much to do with um, safety or anything like that as to do with rights the Premier League own you know, the rights to every picture or video that's taken in the stadium 
and therefore you're not allowed to put a GoPro in. So the Premier League stopped him from doing it. He was doing it in the Championship, and I've got to say, I'm slightly surprised the EFL didn't have the same attitude, but they were fine with it. Um, the National League were never going to be objecting because, well, okay, combination, the phrase I like to use about the National League, it's cowboy country. You know, there's an awful lot of stuff that is not regulated. That's why Boreham Woods can still charge clubs to actually commentate or film there which is remarkable when everyone else works on a quid pro quo basis. There are lots of things that clubs get away with because the National League just lets them get away with it. Yeah, um, But in this case, I guess it, 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 you know, this lay-safe-air approach to business that they're trying to bring in with the, the wage stuff we talked about earlier benefits someone like Ben Foster or the fans because no one's going to stop him. There is another obstacle to overcome, though, and I know this because the club used to put GoPro cameras up and that's the referee so basically from a safety point of view you need to ask a referee and we've had situations in the past of course there's not been consistency really generally re referees would say you're not allowed to you can't put stuff in the net there's a safety issue I'm not at all convinced by that that to me feels like like I said the old idea that legislation about um the National League is old-fashioned, stuck in the past. You know, if you're going to put an actual camera in the goal, that's stupid. That's dangerous. A GoPro securely tied to a stanchion, how is that an issue? But yeah, so we used to put GoPros behind the nets, which was okay if you got lucky, but often wouldn't be that great because you're a bit too far back. You've got that sort of wide-angle lens thing rather makes it look distorted and makes the action look tiny. And often I'd... I'd, try, I'd have to sort of zoom in as much as I could edit in the highlights to make the footage usable. Also, because you had to stick it behind the goal, sometimes the wind blew it over. Uh, yeah, <laughs> your stuff then. But So, yeah, referees also have, from a safety point of view, the, the right to veto. Right, A. Fennel said, just watch the Ben Foster interview. For those of us in North America, what is a plonker? <clears throat> well, how can I put this? A long years ago, I'm talking about first half of the 20th century, it would be slang for mm, something a man's got that the woman hasn't. However, a, a mild slang, right? And then it's become milder and milder to the point that it became like a sort of insulting word, like you twit or whatever. Um, and the reason it's become popular was because of the 1980s well it's one of the biggest british tv shows of all time started in the 80s only fools and horses uh, which is set in london with some dodgy dealers and del boy the main character consistently as an insult says to his brother rodney rodney you plonker and that really popularized the phrase I've got to say, I'm slightly surprised to hear Ben Foster saying it because, I mean, it's a massively popular show and, you know, the kids I teach now still know only fools and horses, even though they stopped making it in the 90s. Um, but it's a slightly old-fashioned phrase to hear people saying in the wild. I'm so surprised he said that, but, yeah, plonker. Just, you twit. Yeah, you're silly, that sort of thing. Trey Campire said um so Wrexham fans have an inside joke about rob being bad luck at the race course when he's there i should point out i think this is what i missed out a while ago 
Um, so yeah, now we started winning of Rob there. Everyone stopped saying it. And um, do you have any match day rituals or superstitions? And what are some of the craziest things you've heard of players doing before matches? Now we we did talk about this in the commentary a while ago. Uh, the reason I popped this back in is I suddenly remembered. I don't think I talked about my weird superstition. Now I've got to say, firstly, I don't consider myself to be superstitious, and so I don't have any rituals or anything like that now. But when I was a little kid, something odd happened, which was basically Wrexham were playing West Ham. West Ham had won the FA Cup the season before, and we drew them in the third round of the FA Cup. We drew at West Ham, it was a great performance, so we had a replay. In those days, FA Cup ties would just keep going to replays. So we had a replay at Wrexham. That was a draw. They played extra time. That was a draw. So they had to toss a coin again to decide where the second replay would be, and we won. So we had another game against West Ham at the racecourse. That was a draw. By this point, one of our players had got injured. And because we'd used our substitute, only allowed one substitute then, Dixon McNeil, who was our legendary goal scorer at that time and a remarkable prolific player in the FA Cup, dropped back into defence, so playing left back. So a bit like Mendy plays, but, but more conservative because we had a back four. So the left back would be expected to stay back a lot more. But in extra time, McNeil gets forward and scores. There's about 20 minutes left of added time. And obviously I'm nervous and you want to know how long's left. But I'd left my watch at home. I would have been 11 at the time. I've left my watch at home. So I had to suffer. It felt like it lasted for hours. I had to suffer West Ham battering away, battering away. And I didn't know how long was left. And finally, the ref blew his final bus and we'd knocked the cup holders out of the FA Cup. It was, I was thrilled. And in my moronic, childish brain, I thought, well, obviously, why did Wrexham win? Was it because of Di Davis in goal? Was it because of Dixie McNeil or any of the other super players of the 70s played for Wrexham? No, it's because I didn't wear a watch. Obviously. So I, I didn't wear a watch for about two years of watching Wrexham, uh, thinking that that made us win. I think the point when I started to wear a watch again was when we got relegated from the championship and then the next season got relegated again and dropped right down from the second tier to the fourth tier in two years. I think at that point it occurred to me that not only did it irritate me that I didn't know how long I'd gone in the game, but also that probably my good luck charm had malfunctioned and I, I stopped that. But now I would say I, I wouldn't consider myself to be at all superstitious. Touch wood. <laughs> Sorry. And now this is a beauty from Kelly Morrison. Looking at stadium sizes in the EFL, only a handful have a capacity of less than 20,000. So once Wrexham is promoted, do you think a new stadium will be constructed or the race course will be further expanded to accommodate a larger fan base? It's a great question. There have been some good comments on it. <laughs> I like these. Alan Roberts saying it could easily be extended to 20,000 plus, but I think the apartments behind the Wrexham Lager stand would need to be bought out. Joe Glendoros and I'd gladly throw in a few quid of my own to see them demolished. And Hypnotics, Will Sudworth saying, me too, it would right or wrong. Um, I'd, I'd go along with that. So this is a chance to chat about two things. Firstly, um, the history of the flats and what's actually gone on there. Um, this is part of the, the near-death experience that Wrexham had, which wasn't covered in Welcome to Wrexham, when the ground 
was so was well no the owners ran up a big debt and then instead of taking the the money back took the they ran it up to the value of the ground and the training ground and took them and they built the flats that are behind the Wrexham Lager stand which is student accommodation for Glyndor University now they said and they put it in writing and handed it out in the Wrexham program that all the money from those flats would go to Wrexham Football Club none of it went to Wrexham Football Club so that's the reason why people like myself and Joe and uh, Will would be quite happy to see those <laughs> those flats gone we'd be very very happy with that um, but I don't know is that feasible well let's have a look at the point about 20,000 attendances I suppose my main point to Kelly is that their capacities might be above 20,000 doesn't necessarily mean that they get crowds above 20,000 does it um, we are unusual in that we're filling out grounds at our level so if you're watching on the video I've got a video I've got a graphic up here the average attendance of league two and beyond the top team Bradford City we'd be able to accommodate the average crowd of every other team in league two so league two wouldn't be a logistical challenge at all and that's now before we built the cop which will add essentially 50 percent onto the capacity and take us up to about 15 and a half thousand well okay let's have a look at league one then well we're not getting into double figures until we hit the eighth biggest crowd barnsley so in our current configuration that would be where we'd hit a ceiling but with the cop built we'd overtake Barnsley, we'd be able to accommodate Charlton or Plymouth's average as well. So again, you know, we're, we're looking, we're comparing pretty well to two divisions up. And even the championship, well, okay, there you get a bit bigger. But certainly, we could accommodate, if you look at them in order, the 17th largest, largest average attendance is Queen's Park Rangers in the West End of London. And we would be able to accommodate that in a 15,000 capacity crowd. What I've not factored in here, of course, is away support. Because away fans naturally will travel in bigger numbers in the EFL. And so we will have a situation where, you know, the, the, crazy as the demand is now, we probably would be able to sell even more than just the 15,000 if we're getting to a point where clubs of the nature, I mean, even going back, to league two clubs of the nature of Bradford City will come mob-handed and Stockport County because they're local would do as well so you know Tranmere Grimsby these would be clubs where we could maybe give them a stand and then the problem then would be where do we accommodate our supporters <laughs> that would be an issue I admit and then when you go into league one I mean, clubs like Derby and Ipswich Sheffield Wednesday Bolton Wanderers Portsmouth I mean these are traditionally teams that yo-yo between the top and the second divisions they bring terrific crowds so yeah we, we, there is a need possibly for re, for building and expanding um but it's not an urgent need in that league two because we'll be one of the biggest capacities in the division or certainly in terms of how many people we're expecting to get in in terms of expansion it's going to be expensive so the question was also saying whether we should move along, uh, you know, find a different ground. A uh, ground. Now you got to remember the Wrexham fans are emotionally attached to the Grace Course because in the course of our battles, as was seen on Welcome to Wrexham, uh, we we battled to save the ground because it was going to be sold and the club relocated supposedly so that they could build 
superstores on uh, our house of B&Q DIY Superstore. So, the fans are very attached to the racecourse. And let's be honest, we make great play of the fact it's the oldest international ground in the world. So I think politically it would be a difficult place to leave. That The infrastructure is quite poor at the racecourse. I mean, if you try to get served for a drink, you'll know exactly what I mean. So the infrastructure is not great, and the cop will address that massively. The The office space is poor. That's why we've got the double-decker pod in the corner of the uh, car park, because it just needed rejigging completely. And the cop will also address that. But, yeah, a, a massive makeover of the racecourse or a relocation would make sense, but I don't think politically you could really push through a relocation. Uh, I don't think the owners show any intention of doing so. So in terms of expansion... I can't see how you can expand the uh, Macron stand because you've got a main road running behind it. The comp will be redone, obviously. The Eric Roberts tech end probably is the most realistic one, when, but you'd have to buy land from Glyndor. Now, my, my lad, when I talked to him about it about an hour ago, did point out they have sold got a lot of land, Glyndor, and they have sold quite a bit for a housing estate, so they may well be willing to listen. But it's going to be expensive. We're going to have to buy land before we even start to build. But that would be a possibility, of course. And then the Wrexham Lager stands. I don't really see how you could do anything without knocking down that block of flats. And that would be, again, a bit of an undertaking. Plus, you'd have to buy them back off Glyndor, wouldn't you? So, And Glyndor may well say, well, we don't mind selling a bit of car park to you, but we're not crazy about selling student accommodation because then where are our students going to go? So that was a thorny one, I strongly suspect. Um... I think that's it. I think that's all. I've not even managed to invite Mrs. G in to, to comment on anything. I'm quite disappointed in myself. She's just smiling at me. Shocking. I'm going to pretend that she sits here for all the podcasts. Silence doesn't work very well in a, an audio medium, dear. <laughs> She's not breaking. She's not snapping. You enjoy ah ah. This is good. Yeah? You really enjoyed the women's game, didn't you? Yes, I did. Good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah. I, Fan- got, Sorry? I got very excited. Did you? Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm glad I was on the other side of the ground, Danny. <laughs> and you had direct dialogue with Mr. Reynolds as well. I did. I did. Well, he waved down to a bit of the crowd, and I asked him where Rob was, and he said he'd killed him. <laughs> that's so, worrying isn't it yeah <laughs> and then Rob came out and he shouted down he's here hey, there you go my wife the friend of the stars mm-hmm. fair place here mm-hmm. oh my friends were embarrassed that did your friends were embarrassed mm-hmm. yeah well they used to it themselves by now yeah. <laughs> oh fair play right I'd better go now so that I can get told off by Mrs G <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah. Like Ryan says, I'll kill you. Fair play. Well, on that terrifying note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pixie's coming as well. Oh, Pixie, the the terror, the terrorist kitten. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'll she'll do she'll uh, she'll wreak terrible revenge if I moan at, at her mummy. I can promise you that. This is not being a football podcast now, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. become more of a sort of family squabble. Go on, Pix. Pickle. Let's get Pickle on, on the... On, oh, she don't want it. Ah, oh. Pixie, she's a good one. Good girl. So, as Pixie rips at my flesh... <laughs> um, whoa! 
<laughs> I think I'll finish this here. Adios, muchachos, and remember, another game on Saturday. Let's get stuck into it. Come Bye. Interlopers. Shocking. This is the final whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.